Welcome to Feeding the Flock and our expositions through the book of Revelation. We are currently in chapter 6 at verse 9. Hi, I'm Glendale Tony. I'm glad you joined me today for this Bible study. Let's begin reading, why don't we, right away in verse 9 of chapter 6 in the book of Revelation, where the Apostle John writes this. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed even as they had been would be completed also. I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth. As a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind, the sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Then the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the commanders, and the rich, and the strong, and every slave and freeman, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? So we find in this last uh, part of the chapter 6 that... Uh, the Lamb is completing his task of opening up this document by, by unsealing the seals. There were seven seals, and um, the first one he opened was uh, in uh, verse 1 of chapter 6. The second one uh, was in verse 3 that he opened. The third was in verse 5. Uh, the fourth was in verse 7. And so now we find the fifth and the sixth seal uh, opened up here in verses 9 and, and in verse 12 as well. And so we know that later on, uh, Jesus will also open up the uh, seventh seal. But that really doesn't come until... Uh, until much, much later, actually, it uh, comes in chapter 8 and verse 1, because there's like a pause in chapter 7, um, a little bit of a, an interlude, you might say, to introduce us to um, uh, something else that's going on, the, the characters that play a part uh, later on. And so there's this uh, sidestep uh, until we move along uh, later in chapter 8 and verse 1 with the breaking of the seventh seal. And that uh, uh, that event takes place uh, 
in a sequence. In, uh, in fact, uh, all of these uh, judgments are in a certain kind of a sequence, even though there's some uh, pauses along the way, there's some uh, side, uh, uh, side steps, you, you might say, to, to look at some things in more detail. But uh, the, the judgments themselves, uh, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls, uh, they all are in, in a certain sequence. Now, they overlap each other, not in the sense of the of their timing, but in the sense of uh, re, um, redoing some of the same or similar kind of judgments, except they get more intense, they get more extreme, and they uh, uh, evidently they get uh, somewhat more frequent um, as we move along. But here in this, uh, the fifth seal is broken, and the lamb is responsible of uh, for uh, claiming uh, using this document as a as a claim for a kinsman redeemer uh, making a, a claim and a, a restoration of property that once belonged to the family and restoring it back to God's family to to God's own ownership to Jesus the Messiah's ownership you might say um, and it, it has been sort of out of their hands not in the sense that that they've surrendered their sovereignty or their authority or their power but in the sense in which uh, uh, the original uh, sin of Adam and Eve and and uh, the human family has in essence surrendered the domain that should have been their own now they have in their rebellion has surrendered uh, this domain over to the enemy that they followed and the enemy's words that they obeyed rather than God's words all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. So then this fifth seal opens up a scene and by the way what, uh, what is in essence a picture of this document being unrolled, unfurled as, um, as Jesus the Lamb standing as he uh, starts to break each one of these seals as he goes. Um, what's, what's interesting is that, uh, that if this is a, a normal type document, then there's no reading being done. There is no reading of the will, you might say. That's, that's what would have been expected is, is uh, there would be words that should have been read uh, and uh, should have been recorded somewhere. But here we don't have words at the breaking of these seals. We have scenes. We have these, these uh, various judgments and activities uh, that are uh, uh, presented to John in a visual uh, sense, not in a verbal sense. So, uh, so when he when he opens this fifth seal, we see another scene, and this happens to be underneath the altar, the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. These are the souls of the martyrs. These martyrs evidently uh, lost their lives during the very earliest parts of this judgment, uh, what we would call the tribulation. And, um, and these, uh, these first uh, four seals has evidently uh, unfolded some of these, these things in a, in a global scale, and yet uh, the, the believers are suffering greatly. These people have come to faith in Christ, uh, and they are uh, now, they are martyrs, and they're, they're in, uh, in the throne room, you might say, and they're underneath the altar. Well, what altar is this? And there's some discussion about it in, in terms of is this the uh, the sacrificial altar?
altar, or is this the uh, the golden incense altar? And and I believe to be consistent, I think it's it's the golden incense altar. And even though it may have a different shape or a different uh, uh, kind of dimension to it, uh, the, the, because this is the one in heaven. This isn't the one that. Uh, that was uh, constructed by Moses and his assistants and his artisans uh, when he built the tabernacle or uh, when they erected the uh, temple. Uh, this, this is uh, those all those things, all that those pieces of furniture. They were all just just replicas of something Moses had seen in the heavenly scenes, and uh, he'd seen them there, and uh, he replicated them in some form or shape the way God told him to. But uh, there was something very real uh, that he had seen already. And uh, that was why God said, you do it according to what you've seen in heaven. So uh, that seems to be what John is seeing here, that there is this this uh, altar of incense, the golden altar of incense. And because the incense, the smoke from that uh, seems to represent the prayers of the martyrs. And that's exactly where they're located so that it's all consistent biblically and uh, consistent with with uh, what we've seen before and what we will see later in the book of Revelation. And so they are there under the altar of incense and the, the smoke is going up and guess what? They are praying, but they're praying a very unusual prayer um, and uh, it would seem odd uh, and, and downright unspiritual to some people if they just take this out of context. Uh, they think these people here are not being very godly because of some, some of the teachings and the practices of, um, of, that we find in the New Testament in other places, but it's but he, they basically uh, cry out to God and it says with a loud voice, "How long, O Lord, holy and true?" Notice they bring his character into stake here, into uh, into their argument, and that is he is both holy and he is true, and there is this injustice going on on the earth, and that's why are they are there? They are there because they have suffered martyrdom; they've been killed for their faith. Because of the word of God and their testimony, they have faced capital punishment at the hands of, uh, of the tyrants on earth in the early part of the tribulation. So he says, and so they pray this prayer, how long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Now, this is, this sounds, uh, um, like they're calling for retribution, and uh, that's not exactly the case. They are calling upon God to be just, to be true, to be holy, and to to recognize the fact that the reason why they are here is because of this injustice uh, on the earth uh, in which tyrants have killed them and uh, have tried to wipe them off the face of the earth and their souls are now in heaven. And um, uh, they're just wondering uh, when is God going to fulfill uh, vengeance uh, on their behalf? And that's a perfectly uh, okay thing to do is to call upon God to do that. Uh, we don't uh, we don't commit vengeance ourselves upon others. That's uh, That would be contrary to the, to the teachings of Jesus. But to 
call upon God to do his work of, uh, of uh, fulfilling the retribution that should be done in a just and a proper and a holy and a true place, then uh, that is okay for them to do. Uh, they have earned the right, you might say, to make this prayer. And there was given to each of them a white robe. And uh, what's interesting is uh, evidently these these souls needed uh, uh, this garment in order to uh, uh, stay there and uh, be comforted or be warmed or or just to represent the fact that they have none, done nothing wrong. And so uh, they have these white robes that are handed out and uh, they are placed upon these dear martyrs. And it says, and they were told that they should rest a little while longer. So it's, it's sort Sort of like uh, uh, the Lord is saying to them, uh, uh, just uh, sit back. Uh, this is going to take some time, but it will happen. And uh, uh, you don't have to be concerned. You've already presented your case uh, before me. I'm already aware of what this is going to be uh, later on. And uh, uh, you just rest uh, and uh, you enjoy uh, just this piece of heaven. And uh, and yet. Uh, uh, there is another part of this that uh, is still yet to be played out, and that is, he says, until the number of fellow servants and their brethren, um, their fellow servants and their brethren who were killed, even as they had been. So um, the Lord uh, is is responding by saying that uh, uh, is this martyrdom, this being killed for the name of Christ and for the testimony and for the word of God, this martyrdom isn't over yet. You are just the first round. You're just the first wave of, uh, of persecution that results in capital punishment. There is more coming. And uh, the Lamb is waiting for those numbers to be fulfilled. And then he will uh, execute justice upon the earth uh, on behalf of all the martyrs that are about to come. So we'll be back right after this. have been uh, looking at this paragraph, verses 9 through 11 of uh, chapter 6 of the book of Revelation. And uh, there is this assurance that uh, these dear people who have been killed for their faith, uh, they have uh, been given a wardrobe of their own, and they've been given assurance that, uh, that the Lamb has heard their prayer, and the Lamb is going to fulfill his work of justice on the earth uh, because of the blood that was shed um, 
in his name, and he's going to correct all that, and he's going to make judgment upon that, but there's still more to come. And uh, that's the sad part of that statement. Uh, they are to sit by and rest, but there are uh, there is going to be more martyrdom. There will be more people sitting in uh, the place where they're sitting, uh, having uh, been uh, persecuted and executed for the name of Christ himself. And uh, and that's very parallel, by the way, to some comfort that the angel had given to the to uh, the prophet Daniel. If you want to go back to Daniel chapter twelve, that's the way Daniel, the book of Daniel, uh, concludes, is um, by this certain kind of assurance. In Daniel chapter twelve, verse thirteen, he says, "But as for you." Go your way to the end. He's talking to Daniel. Then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. Well, this is about to become the end of the age because this is the end of the the last, uh, this is the beginning, that is, of the last seven-year cycle of a 490-year cycle that the angel had given to uh, uh, to Daniel in Daniel chapter 9. And so we believe that that these martyrs are uh, uh, will be accompanied by others to come during that last seven year cycle, and it has just started. It has just been opened up, and uh, uh, they are to wait until it is fulfilled. Uh, and evidently, Daniel is going to be one of those uh, with them and going to be uh, right there waiting as well uh, for uh, for the end of the age to come. And uh, that last seven years to to uh, uh, that timetable there to to tick off and to come to a completion. And so that's what's going on there. And then uh, let's continue on in verse 12 for the breaking of the sixth seal. It says, I looked and when he broke the sixth seal, there was a great earthquake and earthquakes have been around for a long, long time and they're not going to stop necessarily uh, uh, until the earth is completely transformed. But uh, uh, earthquakes has been a part of, of certain people's lifestyles because they they happen quite often, but earthquakes also are associated um, with uh, the Lord's judgment in in many regards. If you go back to a tributary in Ezekiel chapter thirty-eight, verse nineteen, it says, "In my zeal and in my blazing wrath, I declare that on that day there will surely be a great earthquake in the land of Israel." Joel chapter two, verse ten says. Before the earth quakes, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon grow dark, and the scar the stars lose their brightness. Um, so there is this uh, uh, thing that has been a part of the Old Testament prophecies uh, all along that there was going to be an earthquake, and this is the first one uh, at the breaking of the sixth seal. There, there's going to be others to come later, but this is this is the first. And these various earthquakes have different reactions and different responses. And they may be uh, be getting greater, or they they come again. Perhaps uh, uh, they come more frequently. Maybe they come with more intensity. But uh, this is the first one, and it has uh, quite an intensity of its own. But uh, this stands alone as it does uh, in this passage. It says uh, the sun became black, uh, made of hair. Uh, 
and uh, that that refers to to uh, to a sackcloth that was made out of uh, uh, black goat's hair, and uh, uh, that's what the sun became. It was like a uh, an eclipse of, of its own because of this earthquake, and the earthquake evidently may have caused uh, other other things to happen, like. Uh, uh, like volcanic eruptions and other things that that just threw smoke and and other debris into the air. Uh, And it says the moon became like blood. It doesn't say it has blood. It says it became like blood because it lost its color. Why? Because the sun had grown dim and uh, so did the moon. It says, and the stars fell to the the earth. So that means there's there's an astronomical dimension to this whole uh, thing of this Sixth seal, and that uh, that means that these asteroids or meteorites uh, or whatever they are, they they fall out of the sky. And it says it's uh, John describes it this way. He says he says it was split. Up, the sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up. It's almost like one of those one of those old fashioned uh, uh, blinds that if you or or. Uh, 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 one of those things that you you pull down and and if you don't catch the catch just right it it goes back up uh, the window and coils around the uh, the tube at the top of the window and and that's that's kind of what John is trying to describe about about this is changing things and this is scary because the stuff that you might live with a certain assurance that there's just there's just things that that happen uh, uh, that are stable, and uh, uh, the Earth spins on its axis, and the the sun always comes up, and the moon always comes up, and and uh, the stars always shine at night. But this this seems to be a complete disruption to all those predictable things um, in the cosmos, you might say. And it says. Uh, uh, just like a fig tree casts its unripe figs uh, when shaken by a great wind, and um, evidently that's what happens when when unripe figs are are uh, are still in the tree, and it and a, a big wind comes up, and and they just start falling out of nowhere, and that's that's the way John describes this astronomical uh, disturbance that's going on. It says it says then uh, and he starts itemizing. Uh, the various people on the earth that are that are now panicking. Look at this. It says the kings of the earth, the great men, and the commanders, and the rich and the strong. These panic. These people who have all the power on earth, they have all the power to carry out their own policies and their own programs and everything. And they have the power and the authority to to boss other people around. They may have even been some of the very ones responsible for the the uh, the persecution and the martyrdom of these these martyrs that are that are uh, crying out to God. To avenge our blood, and these may very well be those uh, particular individuals in authority that have done this work of executing people for no other reason than uh, than the word of God and the testimony of uh, trusting in Christ. And and um, but look, not just the powerful. Look, it says. The uh, every slave and every free man um, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks. So this is all of humanity in many regards. These unbelievers are now um, 
realize they are not in control. They are not as, as far in control as they have convinced themselves they are. They, are, they may try to, um, to execute uh, their own tyranny upon on the, on the people that uh, uh, they have power over, but they themselves understand that now someone else also is control, and that is a stronger power than they can ever uh, exude uh, from their own positions. And um, this is all these people. It says, and they said to the mountains and to the rocks, uh, fall on us. And so they want to be relieved. Now, this is what I believe to be, chapter 6, is just the beginning of the seven-year cycle, that last seven-year cycle of Daniel's uh, uh, 490 years worth of history that uh, his the angel gave to him. But this last seven-year cycle... Uh, has already begun, and uh, they 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 are now panicking. Now, evidently, they regain their their uh, their positions again after everything is over. But uh, and they go back to somewhat normal. Uh, but uh, this is a precursor of what is yet to come. But they don't know what is yet to come because they've not read the scriptures and they've not read the prophecy in the Book of Revelation. And so, look at the the spheres of this judgment uh, as we have taken it so far in uh, chapter 6. It involves the earth, it involves the sun, it involves the moon, it involves the stars and the sky and the land itself, as well as men, human beings. And so that's that's seven spheres of this judgment that are laid out here in uh, Revelation chapter 6, just in in the opening of this sixth seal in verses 12 through 17 of chapter 6. But then, uh, as he introduces the men, the the human beings that are affected by this particular judgment, uh, and uh, that's the seventh uh, uh, part of uh, uh, the sphere of that judgment, but even in mankind, he breaks mankind down into seven different uh, categories. might call it, the kings, the great men, the commanders, the rich, the strong, the slave, and the free man. Uh, so all of all, that's seven. And uh, so it's interesting that, that as these things unfold, they unfold in, in somewhat of a categorical way that we can examine and we can look at uh, that is uh, quite familiar in some regards, and it will continue to repeat that same theme because the uh, when we break the seventh seed, in chapter 8, verse 1, we find that breaking that seventh seal isn't over. It actually opens up seven trumpets. And when that seventh trumpet is opened, then uh, uh, or is blown, that is, then then these seven bowls begin to be poured out. And so uh, that becomes a, a repetitive, uh, almost a literary style here of uh, examining this historical uh, set of events that is now going in sequence one after another. And so we've had all of these six six seals broken by the lamb that's standing. And uh, we need to reassure ourselves whether or not we are going to trust in the lamb who has been slain. The lamb slain is the one who has paid for our sins. He's the one who went to the cross to die in our place. It's the same 
same lamb. And uh, that's the lamb who took the penalty for our sin upon his own shoulders. He took the wrath of God to be punished as we should have been punished on our behalf. And we trust in him as our redeemer because he is the one qualified to pay the price. And he's paid the price. It is a past work that he's already accomplished. And now here in the future, the lamb will become standing, not just the lamb slain, but the lamb standing. Why is he standing? Because he's opening up this last seven years of his own wrath, the wrath against those who have rejected the payment he has made. Says, and, and in fact, that's what they call. They say, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne. That's, the, uh, that's God the Father. And from the wrath of the Lamb, that's God the Son. And it says, and for the great day of their wrath. See the plural word there? Their wrath has come and who is able to stand? Who can stand against, against the fact that, that God is one day in the future going to correct all the wrongs? He's going to make judgment upon all the wickedness and all the evil that is in that has been perpetrated on the earth and that includes the lamb himself who died for our sins so don't be a part of those who uh uh, who have to tremble in fear in the caves and the rocks and the shelters. Be among those who have followed the lamb and have trusted him to be their savior. Thank you, Father, that uh, we have been given promise and assurance that God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for him who knew no sin, who became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And it is in his name we pray. Amen. I hope you enjoyed our presentation today. This is Glendale Tony. Join us again for the next episode of Feeding the Flock. <laughs>